It is great to see you tonight. Hopefully as you came in, you saw the new packet of information there. I hope you grabbed yourself a, a packet there. That's what we'll be looking at tonight. We are in uh, lesson eight in our notes, probably uh, video 11 or 12 now in our videos there. Um, so as you're coming in, you will notice that there's a little bit of change in scenery. If you are joining us online, you can see this nice big blue thing behind me. Um, I'm glad it's not green because I was afraid there's a green screen and with that stuff you can do anything you want so I don't know what's going to happen online there. Dave may be back there putting dinosaurs behind me or something, I don't know, but uh, we are getting ready for VBS. VBS is coming up, going to be here sooner than we know it. We've got a, a month countdown now to uh, getting to uh, VBS the first week in August, so that's what's happening up here, so as you th see things change. That's what's going on uh, up here uh, as well. So we are continuing in our study um, in eschatology in the book of Revelation. Now I have a little bit of a warning for you tonight. If you are really tired tonight, you need to make sure your partner or someone sitting next to you kind of nudges you a little bit, um, or maybe you might want to stand in the back. We used to do that. Uh, professors used to have us do that in college if you were too tired. All that did, though, is when you fell asleep, you fell to the floor. So, you know, just kind of what happened there. But um, we are getting into a very interesting portion but a very difficult portion for most people into the book of Revelations here. So, book of Revelation, there's no S on the end of book of Revelation. Revelation, said it right, okay? So we've come through the seven seals, uh, we've come through the seven trumpet judgments. Remember last week we saw that the seventh trumpet was blown. The chronological order has brought us through that. We went through some parenthetical sections. We are now back again into a parenthetical section. We are moving outside of the chronological order of the book of Revelation. Um, and we are moving from the events of the tribulation to the characters of the tribulation period. So uh, Jesus, as he's giving this revelation to John, John is recording the visions that he sees. We move out of the events that are happening on the earth and we're going to look at the key players in the tribulation period, who these people are. Now, it is very important to understand that this is where all of the apocalyptic writings and imagery comes in where most of us are confused by what we're reading, what we're seeing. There, uh, are, what, are what John's seeing, is this literal, is this real, what is, what is happening here? And so we're going to go through that, uh, we're going to um, study that, and one thing if you will remember or realize that this is apocalyptic writing that is imagery that relates to something real in reality. Okay, so, the, so when we look at these images, they give us a picture of something that is actually real, a person or a group of people, uh, who, whatever that may be. And so there's seven great characters that are present during the time of the tribulation period that we're going to explore in these three chapters. We're going to try to get through chapter 12 today and into chapter 13, look at two of the characters, but I fear that probably we'll only get through chapter 12 just because there's so much to unpack. It's a short chapter, only 17 verses, but there is a ton of stuff to explain uh, there. So let me give you the seven characters that are in these three chapters. There's the woman representing Israel, the dragon representing Satan, the male child referring to Christ, Michael representing the angels. Israel, the remnant seed of the woman, the beast out of the sea, who is the world dictator or the Antichrist, and the beast out of the earth, who is the false prophet and religious leader of the world. 
So that's the seven characters that we will see throughout these three cha uh, chapters there. I've explained to you exactly who you are, so we're good, right? Let's, let's end and we'll, we'll be done. Got it? Yeah, no. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go a little deeper. So in your notes, your first blank there on page number one is Revelation chapter 12. We're getting into chapter 12 here. And chapter 12 takes us from the earth into heaven and specifically takes us into war in heaven. There's war taking place in heaven. Well, you need to understand that ever since the original fall of Satan, when Lucifer sinned and was originally kicked out of heaven, there's been war in heaven. Satan and his angels, his demons, uh, and the angels of God have warred throughout all of time in the heavenlies uh, for different campaigns, different things, but it has just continued on. It is here, though, during, and we are in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, also known as the Great Tribulation uh, period, part of it, the Great Tribulation, uh, that we find here a new campaign taking place, a new battle that is going to get started. And so we'll get into that here in just a moment, but we need to uh, go through some, a little bit of history actually here in order for us to understand where we're going to go. And the first thing we're going to see, John is going to see a great sign, he says, here, a great image, and is number one, the woman clothed with the sun. The woman clothed with the sun. Let's read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, and in agony of giving birth. So we have a vivid picture here of a woman who is about ready to give birth. What does this mean? Well, again, I want you to stress to you that John says this is a sign. This is an image. This is a vision that he sees, okay? Since this is a sign, we need to understand and recognize that the woman represents something. It's not, this is not necessarily an actual woman. This woman represents a, another person or a group of people. And so when John sees this woman, he sees several things about her that let us know who she actually is. We see that she is clothed with the sun, she had the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. Now, just think to yourself, is there anyone or group that you think would fit that description of things? Yes, Gloria. You think you think there is? Who, do you know? Do you Mary in the Catholic Church? Uh huh. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you could you could use that uh, imagery for that, but that's not what the imagery is talking about here. But that's okay. That's all right. I can see I can see what you would see as a modern picture of Mary as the Catholic Church. So let me give you a little bit of uh, information here that uh, is so vitally important. Now, I know that we're looking at eschatology in the book of Revelation, but one of the keys to understanding the, uh, understanding the book of Revelation is you need to know your Old Testament. You need to know the other books of the Bible and their referencings through that because what is happening here in chapter 12, there's going to be two instances here that are going to reference back all the way back to Genesis. 
And that's what this is talking about here. And so when I give you the information here, you're going to go, oh yeah, I see exactly how that, how that lines up and what that's talking about. But it's very important that we have a grasp of the rest of Scripture before you try to interpret and understand Revelation. So like if you're a new Christian, don't you dare go read Revelation <laughs> right off the bat. You will be totally uh, weirded out and not, can't figure it out. You need to understand and know the Scriptures. Now, if I was to tell you that this comes straight out of Genesis chapter 37, and if I was to tell you that this comes from Joseph in, Je- De- in uh, Genesis chapter number 37, uh, and Joseph is referring to the sun and the moon and 12 stars in uh, Genesis 37, do you have a more clear picture of, of who this group of people might be? Say, like, nope, not even close. All right. Good call. I'm just trying to work through this with you a little bit, okay? So here's the idea. The sun, if you, in Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 through 11, Joseph has a dream. And in his dream, he sees the sun representing his father, the moon representing his mother, and 11 stars there, but 12 including him, that represent his brothers who bow down to him. Now we know, for Jacob being the father um, and uh, Rachel being the mother, and then Joseph, we know that the 12 brothers become the 12 tribes of Israel. We know that Jacob wrestles with God, and he becomes named Israel. This is the beginning of the nation of Israel. And so we see here a reference back to Israel. And so when we see here that the woman is clothed with the sun, that the, the moon uh, she is resting her feet on the moon and that she has 12 stars on her head equaling the 12 tribes of Israel there. The woman is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, uh, the, the nation of Israel. So when John sees the nation of Israel, uh, sees the woman, he recognizes that this is the nation of Israel. It also speaks to the fact that this is the nation of Israel because the woman is pregnant. Now, out of the nation of Israel, who comes? Just, just think to yourself, who could, Jesus comes, right? Right? Okay? You don't, have to, you don't have to answer. I don't want to put you on the spot, but, but I want you to see the imagery here, okay? So here's the woman who is pregnant, and the imagery is indicating that she is going to give birth, and we know that the line of the Messiah comes through Israel uh, there and is going to give birth. And so the woman is in labor ready to give birth. And just as the woman is uh, in labor, having labor pains, this is a reference to the nation of Israel experiencing the pains uh, of the enemy of Satan attacking and persecution, as well as waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, as we move forward in this, this, becomes, this picture becomes even greater, okay? You'll see it unfold more as we go, but I wanted to lay out for you that Israel is the woman, she is bringing forth the Messiah here. Now we see another character in this same picture, in this vision that John sees, another sign here uh, in verses 3 and 4. Number two in your notes is the great red dragon. The great red dragon. And another sign, verse 3, appeared in heaven. Behold, a great great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour her. So are you seeing the picture 
the imagery that's given here. This woman is getting ready to give birth. She's going through the, preg- the, uh, the birthing pains there. And uh, ready to receive uh, is this dragon that is there that is ready to take the child and wants to destroy the child. Okay, And so John sees this. Now, who is this? He says he sees a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. Well, it's very important for us to understand that this is unfolding in John's vision. And for us to really understand what he's talking about here is we need to actually skip ahead a few verses to verse number 9. Verse number 9 tells us something very, very important here. And it says these words, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He, has, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And we'll explain that verse when we get there. But who is this great red dragon? Satan. Very good. Satan. So we know that based upon what Scripture tells us. So we know that Satan is this um, dragon. Now, is Satan really a dragon or is Satan really a serpent? Absolutely not. He's a fallen angel. We recognize that. But again, this is the apocalyptic writing that people get really worked up on uh, and trying to figure this out. As you just read them and put them into the context of what Scripture has already told us and taught us all the way through, it makes sense on uh, putting them in those passages, okay? He is described as being red, which speaks of his murderous nature. And so here's the question. Why then does John describe him as having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns? That's a pretty weird-looking dragon, right? Seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. Well, the imagery comes directly out of Daniel. That's why we uh, started with the foundation of understanding the prophecies of Daniel, which play out in Revelation. So the book of Daniel, as well as uh, other passages in Revelation, lay out what these are. So the dragon is Satan. The other elements here, try to make it a little bit easier, the other elements represent what he is in control of. Okay? They picture his control or his power over. Okay? So you remember in Daniel, Daniel saw the vision, saw the vision of this fourth beast, this huge, uh, massive uh, beast that was stomping everything, had iron teeth and stuff. Also, we saw there that there were ten horns that came out, and one little horn came out, and it, took, it plucked up three of them uh, and stuff. And we described all of that talking about the nations that were going to come in the new Roman Empire and stuff like that. So let me walk you through this imagery so that I can show you exactly what's happening here. Okay, let's put the whole picture together. The red dragon is Satan. The red represents uh, his fiery destruction, blood, and stresses his vicious, deadly nature. The seven heads represent seven consecutive world empires running their course under Satan's dominion. Seven empires that have taken place that satan has been in control of uh, and we see this revelation 7 19, revelation 17 verse 9 and 10 give us a little bit more uh, understanding of this it says this calls for a mind with wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated they are also seven kings five of whom have fallen one is and the other is yet to come Uh, And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. So we see here these seven heads represent seven different kingdoms. Now, 
when we bring up seven, we, we automatically go to, and maybe you thought about this, well, why isn't it perfection or why isn't it, isn't it completeness like we've talked about the number seven before in uh, Revelation? Well, the reason why it's not is because Satan is never perfect and never complete. Satan does not have complete power. Satan does not have complete authority. Satan uh, does, doesn't do everything perfectly. There only God does. So the seven doesn't refer to completion or anything like that. The seven here refers to these kingdoms. Now, we have already looked at three of the past kingdoms, the, the one that is happening and then the one that's going to be in the future, remember, that we saw in the statue of Daniel. Is that, are you guys recalling that? Back then, Daniel was writing when he was in Babylon, and he starts with Babylon. The only difference here is that Jesus giving this revelation, giving the seven heads, goes back to other uh, kingdoms. And so the five, you have them listed there in, in your notes there. The five that have fallen are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Do those last three sound familiar to you? Do you remember us talking about those way back when? Okay. Egypt, obviously, they imprisoned Israel uh, for many, many years. We know that, uh, that Satan was overpowering the Pharaoh in Egypt and all of that. The Assyrians always uh, came against Israel and were against Israel, and, and Satan used them. So we have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece that have been wiped out. Those have gone. The one that is current in John's day and what they're referring to and what's kind of carried on even through today is Rome. All right? We still have Roman influence even today. And then the one that is to come, as we talked about, is the Antichrist New Roman Empire. Okay? So, with the seven heads, Satan, as the dragon, empowered these countries. Empowered what they were doing. He was in control of them and has control over all of these, has given control over them. Then we see that the ten horns that are uh, listed here, represent the Antichrist New Roman Empire. Remember we said that when the Antichrist comes in and rules and reigns, he's going to establish ten kingdoms with ten kings, right? He's going to establish ten different types of geographical areas that he is going to be over, and they will be able to, they will have ten rulers. So at this point, we are just seeing all of this established and taking place, and we see that the seven crowns that are on the heads of the uh, dragon represent the complete power and control of Christ. They're diadems, they're ruling. Satan, or excuse me, I, I said Christ, I meant Satan. Satan is the one that is ruling and reigning and his power there. So the dragon is Satan. The ten, or the seven heads represent the seven nations. Five of them are gone. One is, and we are now into the new Roman Empire in, the, in this time, so all seven are represented. The ten horns represent the Ten rulers of the ten nations there, and the seven crowns represent the control and power that Satan has. Okay, does that make sense to you? Do you understand the whole imagery here? So it's talking about Satan, but it's also talking about the control, the power that he has over all, all of this. And this is, the, this is why the dragon has the elements 
that it has to show his complete power that he is the one that is controlling the Antichrist, that he is the one that is controlling all of these things uh, that are happening on the earth. Now listen, it doesn't mean that God has relinquished control. Satan can only do what God allows him to do, even here. But it means that Satan is the one that is uh, able and willing, uh, or the one that is able to continue this on through the power of the Antichrist. So before we go on from there, any questions or comments or thoughts? Is your head already hurting? Okay. Do, do you feel, I don't want to move on unless you feel comfortable that you have it. Do you have it? Do you understand what I'm saying? To the best of your ability anyways, right? Okay. Great. Thank you. All right. Now, we see some of this injury, uh, imagery carry over when we get to chapter number 13, uh, and we'll talk about it more when we get there, but in chapter 13 we see all of these same types of things come up and it's referring to the Antichrist. The difference is, is that we see that the diadems are moved from the heads of the dragon to the horns because the Antichrist has been given the power by Satan to do. And we'll talk about that when we get into chapter 13 a little bit more. But I want you to understand that Satan will work completely through and will completely empower the Antichrist to do what he is doing. And so... As we continue on, we have another description that John gives us here to also confirm for us that this is Satan, that the dragon is actually Satan, and that is this. It said, he, he writes in here this writing, and, and he puts this, that the tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. So the tail of, of Satan has swept down one third of the stars in heaven. Well, the first question um, that we need to understand here is what are these stars? What are the stars he's talking about? Well, actually, we haven't gotten there yet, but, but verses 7 and verses 9 talk about angels. And you, you realize that earlier in Revelation, we saw that stars represented angels. And so in the context here, when we get to 7 and 9, that speaks back to these stars to let us know that the context here is, has angels in view. So Satan's tail swiped out or swiped down one-third of the angels from heaven. And we actually know that because we know uh, that from other passages of Scripture, right? When Satan fell, well, who went with him? One-third of the angels that, that wanted to follow him, right? Okay, so we see the imagery is just a, uh, uh, lining up with what the Scriptures already have, have uh, taught us here. So, when did Satan sweep the angels from heaven? Obviously, this is referring to his fall at the beginning of creation. We see that in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. So, this is the original fall of Satan from heaven. And John adds this language here, because Christ has told him to, but also to put this in here so that we recognize that this dragon is none other than Satan himself. So we see here, the red dragon is Satan and his power and his control uh, throughout the, the tribulation period. And as this vision continues, John sets up the next scene for us. The woman is ready to give birth. And the dragon is eagerly awaiting the birth of the child so that he might devour it, might destroy it. So before we move into this next section, any other questions, or comments, or concerns? Steve? No, stars are not, no. And that, that's, a, that's, that's really a good question because, uh, you know, the, some have 
gone that far and taught that, that the celestial stars we see are actually angels. No, they're not actually angels. This is just symbolic uh, writing literature to, you know, to use for this uh, there um, in those pictures. So, absolutely. Okay. Satan has done uh, all in his power to persecute and try to wipe out the people of God. Israel, we've seen that all the way through history, haven't we? That Satan has done everything in his power all through history to try to wipe Israel out and has never been successful uh, to do it. Uh, No other country on the earth has been more hated, more despised, more attacked than Israel has. Now they've been scattered all over the world and they're now coming back, but Israel cannot be destroyed. God has not allowed Israel to be uh, destroyed. And so since he can't destroy Israel uh, and he won't be able to destroy Israel, even all the way through this we see, we see also that Satan is then trying now also He's like, well, how can I destroy the Messiah in order uh, before he even does his saving work on the cross? And we understand that this is uh, impossible. The illusion that's given here is unmistakable. Again, this is why we need to know the rest of Scripture. It pictures back to what happened in Bethlehem after the birth of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was born and the wise men came back and Herod said, I want to go worship him. And they don't come back and they don't tell him and he gets all upset. What does he do? He says, let's kill Every Jewish boy up until the age of two to wipe out who? To wipe out the Messiah. Now, Herod was only worried that he was going to wipe out another king that could take his place. But this was Satan working, right? To try to wipe out the Messiah. And so we see here this dragon, which brings us now to uh, number three in our notes, the male child. And we get a description of who this male child is. As I've already alluded to, it is Christ. Uh, this baby that is being born here. And we see this in verse number 5. And the beast was given a mouth. Oh, excuse me, I'm in chapter 13. Let's go to chapter 12. Don't get that far ahead. Here we go. Verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now we have the birth of this male child. Now, how do we know that this male child is Christ? Again, because the wording that John uses is Scripture. The wording is right from the Bible in previous things to let us know. Uh, we, how do we know that this uh, Israel is the, is the woman and she gives birth. Jesus comes, the Messiah comes through the lineage of Israel. This can be none other than Jesus. All right. For some reason there has been some debate over this. But really it, the wording here is so plain. He is destined to rule all nations. That's the millennial reign of Christ. He will rule with a rod of iron, meaning that he'll have complete authority and perfect judgment. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, I will tell you of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. This is Jesus Christ being prophesied about in Psalm. I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like pot, uh, potter's vessels. So we see here that Jesus is the one who is going to rule in the millennial reign uh, with a rod of iron. This is language referring to Jesus Christ and none other than Jesus Christ. Also, the wording here also tells us of the protection of God 
there. And we see that this baby now uh, is born. And again, so let me pause here for a second and let you understand. In this parenthetical setting and in this vision that is being seen, chronological time, even in the vision, is not clear. So when this baby is born, it is taken up to heaven immediately to be, to be protected from uh, Satan. That's talking about Christ's ascension into heaven. So in this brief few little words, we have the birth of Christ, we have the ascension of Christ, all take place in just few brief moments. Why? Because he's seeing a vision of, a, of all of this happening in one brief moment. He's, this, is, this is like the cliff notes of cliff notes, all right? So if I was to give you the shortest brief history of what's going to happen with Christ, I would say uh, J- Jesus comes from Israel. Israel is started in the Old Testament. God's plan has a nation through Abraham. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, we have the 12 brothers who become the 12 tribes. See all of that that we've come up through here and we're talking about? Uh, and this is the nation of Israel, the Abrahamic coven that is given. Eventually the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. King Herod wants to try to kill him because Satan wants to destroy the Messiah because he couldn't destroy Israel. Christ lives his life, dies, rises again, and ascends into heaven to where he is safe. Satan can't touch him. And now Israel is able to flee and be saved during this tribulation period uh, there by Satan. So that's all that's happening in this brief little bit. And I actually see some of your head spinning. (laughs) This is crazy. Please understand, I've studied this for many, many, many years. It makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm trying to really uh, convey it uh, to you. So, all right. So, this is Christ that is born. He ascends, talking about his resurrection. And then we are told the woman fled to the wilderness for 1,260 days. Again, we see this number, 1260. It's exactly three and a half years. This is a reference to the last three and a half years, the Great Tribulation. This is the fact that God will protect a remnant of Israel during the Tribulation period. And we see that play out even more so when we get into chapter number 13. God's plan is for Israel. Israel will turn to the Messiah, they will be saved, but Israel will be the primary group that will be carried into the millennial kingdom. And God promises that he will protect and will have a remnant of Jews that will go in. And this is what he's promising here. Satan cannot stop Christ, obviously, so he turns again to the people of God. And the point here is that God does protect his people in the midst of this great tribulation as a guarantee a remnant of Jews that lived through the tribulation period uh, and on into the millennial reign of Christ. So now, we've seen Satan, we've seen his power, we've seen the woman, this is Israel giving birth, we see um, the male child as Christ coming, and then John now turns to another vision that he sees here, and this is the victory of God, here, so before I go on, I don't. I, again, I'm doing this on purpose, asking you a lot of, asking you for questions, because I don't want you to be bogged down. Are there any th- questions at this point, Judy? So 
So when you take 365 and you, and you figure it out, it's longer than three uh, and a half uh, years. And absolutely, that's, that's a great question. So what, what is happening here? Well, as I have explained all the way through, when we get to the tribulation period, everything reverts back to Israel. Israel functioned on a 30-day calendar. Uh, they functioned on a lunar calendar. They functioned on the, the moon, the full moon to the, no, to, to the new moon, 30 days. So, it, it, so yes, it's a shorter year. Um, there and 1,260 uh, days is three and a half years with a 30-day consecutive 30-day month all the way uh, through there without it changing what, whatsoever. So if you put those numbers in, you'll get the calculation of what the Bible is 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 talking about, and that's exactly why 1,260 is such an important number as well as three, referring to three and a half years. Great question, uh, but again, it shows us. It shows us, again, the church is not in view here. Israel is. Israel has now become predominant in all of this. So it's, it's, it's Israel, the calendar of Israel that is being used um, by this here. Okay, The church is gone in heaven, and uh, this is all that's happening there. Great question. Anybody else? Awesome. So now we come to what we talked about in chapter number 9 a few weeks ago, and we'll explain it in more detail here. The question, uh, there was a question, and I do remember the question, so we'll answer that question when we get into this here. But number four, the final expulsion of Satan. The final expulsion of Satan. We are at the beginning of the uh, last three and a half years that we've talked about, and in verse number seven we see, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. That's the dragon was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So John now turns his attention to heaven. We've seen now what, uh, what Israel is, is doing, what, the, uh, what Satan is doing, what the man, male child is, and now he turns to heaven. And um, while the events of the tribulation period are unfolding here on earth, war is erupting in heaven between Michael, the archangel, and his angels versus Satan and his angels. War in the heavenly realm, as I've already said, is nothing new. It has been happening since the, the beginning of time, the original fall of Satan. And I'll clarify both of those as we go forward here. Okay? However, uh, while war is an ongoing thing, John seems to indicate here that this is a brand new campaign that begins. A brand new war takes place. Okay, And so while there's always been tension and stuff like that here, there's been either a lull in the action or whatever, but all of a sudden now something happens and it sparks a brand new battle and that brand new war again in the heavens between Michael the archangel and Satan and their angels there. Most scholars believe that this new campaign takes place because of the rapture of the church. So this begins at the very beginning of the tribulation period, this, this war, this battle that is taking place. And many believe that it is because the church is raptured out. As a matter of fact, the, the uh, reading of the text in, chapter, in verse number 7 in the Greek could be translated, could be uh, translated this way because grammatically it is constructed in a different way than what we have written. The translation could read, Michael and his angels had to fight the dragon. The idea here is not that um, all of a sudden they came together and war broke out. It means that Satan did something and 
and Michael and his angels had to fight because the, Satan started this war, this campaign. Something happened there. So Michael and the archangels were not the antagonist Satan was, which makes a whole lot of sense. And as a result of that, Michael and his angels are called in to have to fight. Although it's uncertain the rapture of the church uh, could possibly be the catalyst that begins this campaign. And the reason why they say this is Satan is the prince of the power of the air, isn't he? The Bible tells us this. Satan is the ruler of this world. He is the ruler of the earth. He's ruler of the atmosphere realm. He is not the ruler of the third heaven that we, we recognize. But he is the prince of the power of the air. And the idea is this. All those speculation, it makes absolute sense, that when the rapture of the church, church takes place, Jesus comes where? He comes to the air. He comes in the sky. He comes uh, over the eastern gate there. And the trump is sound and the dead in Christ will rise and the those who are alive will, and remain will rise as well. The rapture of the church will take place. And somehow, same, some, somehow, some way, I mean, Satan just cracks me up because he always tries this, but he thinks that there's some way he can stop the rapture of the church. I don't know how. But he thinks that there's some way he can. Uh, that's the idea that is given here. And as a result, Michael and his angels respond to Satan and his, his angels trying to do something to uh, thwart the rapture of the church in war wages. And so, as I've already taught and we've already looked at, we believe the rapture of the church is what sets off the tribulation period. Since this is the idea that it is the beginning of uh, the tribulation period, we see that war erupts in heaven immediately while the tribulation period is going on on the earth for the first three and a half of the years of the tribulation, and it ends at the beginning of the last three and a half years of the tribulation where we are now. So this war has been waging, this war has been going on for three and a half years, and the end result is that Michael and his angels defeat Satan, which we know is how it all works out, always, okay? So Michael and his angels defeat Satan, and there is repercussions to that. The result of this victory is that Satan is finally and completely kicked out of heaven, and his angels as well. Now, what does that mean? Because all of us understand, have no problem understanding that at the beginning of creation, when Lucifer sinned, God kicked Lucifer out and a third of the angels out to the earth. Okay? We understand that. So why do we have a final expulsion take place here? Because, again, let me go back to our text to, to uh, show you the wording here. That, um, but when Satan was defeated, when he, they were defeated, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven... And the great dragon was thrown down. So we're here now in the middle of the tribulation period, talking about this the last three and a half years. Now right here we have Satan being thrown down and his angels being thrown down. What's he talking about? Well, and the question is uh, that I'll answer in this. I'll just give you the question. Now the question that was asked a few, few weeks ago was, well, how can Satan be in the presence of God if Satan is evil? And God can't be in the presence of evil. And I'll explain that here as we give this answer. First of all, Lucifer was kicked out of heaven with one-third of all the angels and that followed him at the beginning of creation when Lucifer sinned. Remember, Lucifer was the angel that covered. He was the angel that probably was over the throne of Almighty God. Uh, he was in charge of all of the worship of heaven. And the reality is, is that he wanted worship for himself. Pride was found in his heart. He wanted worship. He was able to bring one-third of the hosts of, of heaven, which is a huge number, uh, along with him to, to worship him. And when they did, they rebelled against God uh, there. And when they rebelled against God, God 
swiftly threw them out. Now, with that means this. It means that once their decision was made to follow to, to the angels to follow Satan and the others to follow God, their decision was made. Lucifer will never, ever have an opportunity to come back into heaven and to be in his position ever again because the choice has been made, has been done um, there, all right? However, as Satan, as Satan, God allows Satan to come into his presence so that he may fulfill one of his greatest duties, that is, to make accusations about all who are born again in Christ, the number one, one of Satan's most primary duties is for him to accuse the brothers. He's known as the accuser of the brethren, okay? He, he is going to look at us and tell God why God shouldn't save us, shouldn't let us in his heaven, how bad we are, how horrible we are. Now, you have to remember some things about Satan. Number one, Satan isn't everywhere present. He's, he doesn't have the attributes of God. You need to understand that. Satan is a created being. He does not, he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-everywhere-present. He, he doesn't have the power of God. So Satan has to be in one place, and he has to commission his angels, demons, to do the work and report back to him. Okay, these, these things. So there are angels around us. If we could see in the spiritual realm, there would be angels all over the place. There would be good angels. And guess what? There would also be demons in this building right here today. Right here, right around us, they're here, okay? Uh, maybe the demons aren't attacking, but they're writing down, you know, they're writing, <laughs> they're writing down what we're doing wrong what, or whatever, what they can accuse us of. It's like, oh, this is a good one about Mike. Let's go tell our cat chief, you know, let's go tell Satan about it. This is a good one. Let's get him. I was referring to me, Mike, by the way. You can go. There you go. All right. All right. So, um, so. Can God be in the presence of evil or sin? No, we recognize that. and We recognize Satan embodies evil and sin. However, this is a task uh, that is given to Satan in his position uh, there that God does allow him to be in his presence to accuse those of us who are believers. And the uh, demons have to come into heaven to report to Satan because Satan is not everywhere present. Satan doesn't stand up in heaven and look down and see us. He can't, he can't see us. He has to get the reports from his demons because he is a created being. He, is not, he, is, he, he has supernatural power, absolutely, but he does not have the power of God. And we've got to remember that because so often we equate God and Satan and we put them at the same level. They're not, God is here and Satan is here. We might even be a little bit lower because Satan has supernatural powers and we don't, but does that make sense? So we see here, and John also confirms this for us, and he tells us this uh, to confirm what he's saying here in verse number 9. He says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil. The word devil in the Greek, diabolos, it means accuser, means false accuser. So Satan's going to not only accuse us of the things that we do, he's also going to make up lies about us to God and going to accuse us before God uh, there. And so we see here that, that Satan is in heaven. Now, so Satan is in heaven and he's accusing uh, the saints. And as we'll read it in a moment, Satan does this day and night. As we go farther in this, we'll see that Satan has been the accuser of the brethren day and night there. Let's, let's just look. Look here in verse number 10. Go down. Just, and I uh, heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brothers, that's Satan, that's what his title is, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Can anybody say annoying? Right? God can handle it. 
God takes care of it. I wonder if God even chuckles at it sometimes, but um, the accuser is there day and night accusing us. So although Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, never returned to his heavenly position, Satan has been granted continual access to God so that he can accuse the saved of their sins before God. And that's one of the things that Satan loves to do, and that's one of the things he does. But listen, when Satan is in heaven, he's not here on the earth. Okay? And listen, I want to also express to you that with this expulsion now, Satan is bound to the earth. He will never have access again to heaven. Well, why is Satan only bound to the earth? Because I want to stress to you something that I don't know that we think about very often here. How much time has Satan, since the creation of time and his first fall, all the way through even till now, how much time has Satan spent in hell? Anybody got an idea? None. None. Satan is not the ruler of hell. God is. Hell is a place of torment and torture and wrath. It is where the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God is taken away. But make no mistake, God is the one that is in control of hell. Hell is a place of punishment. And hell is designed specifically for Satan and his demons. This is a place of punishment, a place of torment, a place of torture, a place where they're going to be tormented and tortured for all the rest of eternity. Satan has not spent, nor does he desire to ever spend one second in hell. So he spent most of his time in heaven accusing his demons have been on earth and going and reporting. Now, Satan is kicked out of heaven, no longer has access to heaven. His ID card doesn't swipe no more. He can't get in the door. He can't get back into heaven. And he's certainly not going to go to hell until he is forced to go there. So, Satan now is on the earth. Yes, sir, Steve? Uh, yes, those who have died without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are in hell right now. There are also uh, demons that um, uh, were sent to the abyss that we've talked about. That's a special holding place for the worst of the demons and the things that they did. That's another level of, of hell or section there um, as well. So, so those who die outside of Jesus Christ do immediately go to hell. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So the same as, as when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible, Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to be absent from the body is to be in, the, in, in hell uh, there. And right now, heaven and hell, and we won't get into this, but this is a whole other study, they're just holding places right now. There will be a new heaven and there will be a, a, a lake of fire, the Bible says, a totally different place where everybody will be cast into outer darkness for all of eternity, and that's going to be the final resting place. So we see here that Satan now is completely kicked out of heaven. He is no longer able to accuse any saints anymore. He is now bound to the earth. And we see in verse number 10 through 12, the celebration of heaven. How many of you guys know if Satan's kicked out and can't come back, there's going to be a party? Right? <laughs> and there is. There's a party. Verse number 10, I just read it, but let me read it again. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accused them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that this time is short. Now, even though we're in a parenthetical setting, remember now that we are referring to the very beginning of the, the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. The great tribulation is what's in view here, okay? So we have the defeat of Satan and his demons with their resulting expulsion from heaven triggers an outburst of great praise. And John hears a loud voice. Now we've heard that phrase before, but in the context here, we don't really have any idea who this voice actually is, but in the context of what's being given here, the loudness here may indicate many voices speaking in unison. So because it's praise, praise abrupts in heaven by those who are in heaven, which by the way, who's in heaven at this point? I hope you are too. Okay, that's us. We're there. We get to see ki Satan kicked out of heaven. Woohoo! Come on, we gotta have some fun. This hasn't been that exciting, right? All right, we gotta have some fun in this, don't we? All right, we get to see K Satan kicked out. We get to rejoice and, and be excited about that. So, all right, I wanna try to wake you up a little bit. Good job. All right. Steve, yes. When he died, did he descend into hell to fight the devil? No, he did not fight the devil um, in hell. He descended uh, there, and that can, go, that can go into a whole other snowball of, uh, of things. So uh, we can talk about that, a little, but, but the Bible does say that when he died, he descended into the earth, okay, which were, where hell would be. So I really can't get into this, but the Old Testament understanding of Sheol was that there was, uh, and you heard the term paradise, there was hell, and then there was paradise with a, uh, an abyss in between that's the original that was there and he's peter says he took captivity captive we believe that christ went there to release those that were there in paradise to heaven where it is waiting now so like i said this is a big huge deal we go over that later okay good question though all right um so we have the loudness of this and the many voices with the context uh, as it is here, the strong possibility that these words are spoken by saints uh, in reference to uh, the events that are happening on the earth and the saints of the tribulation period. They proclaim, they proclaim salvation has come. Now, what are they saying here? They're not referring to salvation as in uh, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They're referring to salvation in this way. And this is how I worded it because I thought this was funny and fun. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Salvation in the sense that Satan is gone and we are saved from hearing his stupid accusations anymore. Right? We don't have to hear it. We don't have to listen to it. We don't have to roll our eyes. We don't have to go, oh, not again. Right? I mean, how many of you like to be around a person that complains all the time? Right? Not very much fun. Well, that's what Satan does. He just complains, complains, complains. You want to turn around and go, look in the mirror, Satan. You know, right? I mean, come on. So... He's out. He's gone. The wordings that are being said here is talking about God's millennial kingdom will be established. His authority has been given to Christ so that he can rule and reign in the kingdom. Satan is a defeated foe. 
And the tribulation saints are victorious. They have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony. Therefore rejoice, heaven. Rejoice in the fact that Satan is now gone and victory is going to happen. And so with all of this rejoicing in heaven, because Satan is completely kicked out, it is important to note that the earth is in for a horrifying awakening. Because now you need to understand, Satan, listen now, is physically on the earth. Satan isn't physically on the earth right now. He's in heaven right now. He is now on the earth. He is, a, he is part of, of the earth here, which is the woe that's given here at the end of verse number 12. It says here, it says, O earth and sea. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Hey, he's a little ticked. He can't come back up into heaven. He's pretty angry. I haven't had a chance to say, you ain't seen nothing yet tonight, right? That's what he's saying. Saying, well, he's out of heaven, but hey, guess what? Earth, who's in sin, who's following the Antichrist, who thinks you've seen all this bad stuff happening so far, uh, and you want to believe in the Antichrist here, guess what? I sent the real monster down. He's coming to hang out with you now, all right? Satan is cast to the earth. And then we see a war on earth. Satan is furious, and this is going to happen. And so verse 13 through 17, let's read the rest of the chapter. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. Remember who the woman is? It's Israel. Pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a... Well, let's stop there, right there in verse number... Let's stop at verse number um, uh, 14 there. Let's stop there and we'll get the rest. So we see Satan is kicked out of heaven. He's ticked. He's angry. He can't do anything to God who kicked him out. So he's going to do the best, next best thing. I'm going to destroy your people even more so than they have been persecuted before. I am coming after them. So the word here, uh, he goes after um, and pursues the woman who gave birth to the male child. This correlates with the warning that Jesus gave to Israel in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22. Talking about going and hiding yourself and... and uh, Watching out. So the persecution of Israel is part of Satan's program to hinder the work of God. So Satan is so enraged by his ejection from heaven that he turns to God's people. The Greek word for persecute really means to pursue, as the ESV uses here. But God himself steps in to protect the woman. God protects his people in two distinct ways. He uses Gentiles who are sympathetic and help. Matthew 25, 31 through 40, talk about that. And then he steps in supernaturally and helps. It's very interesting here that what he's talking about here is as great eagle's wings, and we'll, we'll see that there symbolizes strength and speed, and the woman is taken away, able to hide. Now, some of the speculations of this have been, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, some have speculated that, that this remnant of Israel will go to what's known as Petra. Have you heard of Petra? Over in the Middle East, it is uh, uh, 
buildings that are carved right into the mountain that has a very narrow way of getting into uh, this area so that if anyone was to come into attack or anyone was to come to get, it, get after them, they had a way of funneling them down and wiping them out in that, uh, in that area. Don't know that for sure, that's just speculation, but the idea here is that a remnant of Israel, those of the children of God, will be swept away. They will go somewhere and hide and will be taken care of. And their needs will be taken care of supernaturally by God. This is, we see this illustration in Elijah at the brook Cherith. Remember when there was the drought and he was there and the ravens came and brought food to feed him. God promises to provide and nourish these people and to protect them. So we see a supernatural saving of a remnant group of Israel who God is going to ensure that is going to be saved through this even with Satan pursuing and attacking and destroying. Does that mean Satan won't kill any Jews? No, that doesn't mean that at all. It means there will be Jewish people that will be killed all over through all, all of this. But there will be, the whole promise is this, as God's chosen people, God will have a remnant that will go into the millennial kingdom. Israel will be in the millennial kingdom. Okay, That's God's promise for protecting his, his people. All right. So Satan goes after this remnant group, can't get to them, they're safe, God has protected them. So you think Satan gets a little angrier? Yeah, he does. Second attack here we see in verse number 15. He says, uh, The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to, help the, uh, to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Sometimes when I read this, I think of a cartoon, don't you? Because it's like, you know, so did, did the dragon open his mouth and a river pour out and the earth open its mouth? Does the earth have a mouth? I don't, you know, again, this is symbolic writing. This is imagery here of attack. So... Upset that he was unable to catch and destroy the women uh, or Israel, Satan tries another tactic. And what, and what he does here is when it says that he opened his mouth and a flood came out or a river came out, uh, symbolically what he's talking about here is that the flood has been used to symbolically tell, tell us some things in the Old Testament. Floods symbolize trouble in general. We see that in 2 Samuel twenty two seventeen and Job twenty seven twenty. The waters and flood has been talked about there. Also has talked about an invading or destroying army in, Jer in Jeremiah and also in Daniel. Now we are not sure or clear what this attack is. Could be uh, an attack of an invading army that Satan put together, demons, whatever it may be, supernatural, uh, spiritual, whatever it is. Whatever force Satan decides to do or send in, he's going to use to try to wipe out this remnant. Whatever the force is, we, ha we have a picture here of a huge flash flood designed to wipe away and to wipe out Israel. So a very fast force of something, an army, whatever it may be, coming in to try to wipe out Israel. And before this force uh, can get to the children of Israel, well, the earth saves them. Now, the imagery here of the earth opening up its mouth and, and swallowing the river is kind of interesting. Um, uh, we, recognize, we recognize the earth doesn't have a mouth. But what is one thing that has been happening over and over again throughout the tribulation period as we see is of a sign uh, of uh, the wrath of God being poured out? Earthquakes, right? 
Earthquakes upon earthquakes upon earthquakes. We see it happen over and over and over again. Well, what is one of the things that happens when the earth quakes? The earth opens up. We use the same terminology, right? Whatever is on top of that earth that opens up, if it falls in, what do we say? We, didn't, we don't say it fell in. We say the earth swallowed it, right? And that's the picture that's given here. Whatever is used, whatever force is, is used, the earth swallows it. It goes into the earth. The earth protects them uh, there. Uh, I mean, I, so I don't know what it is. Well, let's say if it was, let's say, just for reason of thinking, let's say it was rockets or, or something like that. Well, if a rocket goes in and it hits uh, a mountain and it, it impacts into that, it goes into that uh, rock there that could be a picture of what's being I don't know I don't know what the warfare is we don't know what it is all we know is this is that God is supernaturally protecting Israel supernaturally protecting this remnant and Satan uh, goes after them and they're hidden Satan goes after them and the earth protects them because that's what God wants and then verse number 17 finishes this whole thing off here Satan is really angry now in verse 17 then the dragon became furious with the woman and then he was so furious. Have you ever been so furious that you give up? This is what, what Satan does. He becomes so furious with the woman that he gives up on the woman, but he's not done. So he's so furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So Satan now completely frustrated, totally enraged with Israel, can't get to this remnant group, gets so angry that he's like, forget the group, I'm going after those I can get to, I've got to get my anger, I've got to get my frustration out, and he goes to those who are the offspring. Well, who are those? Those who keep the commandments. Those are the saints, those who have turned to Christ in the tribulation period. So we see here that Satan now turns his attack on everyone else. In other words... As I have said all the way through this from the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, that if you turn to, towards Christ, you're going to probably lose your life. And, and I don't know what that process is going to be in, in the first three and a half years, how long that's going to take, will there be a trial, whatever that will be. But by the last three and a half years, from the beginning of the last three and a half years, everything is that much quicker. Satan is on uh, the, the throne here, he's in charge, and so the idea is you thought it was bad in the first three and a half years. If you turn to Christ in the last three and a half years, you probably won't get done with your prayer before you're dead. Do <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's the, the picture here. Satan is going to be so wrathful, so angry, so upset that the person that calls out on the Lord, and I'm using the illustration of a prayer, we know it's just our heart calling out to God, but the reality is, is that, that that's what's going to happen. The second you claim Jesus Christ, somehow some, you're gonna, they're going to wipe you out. So John has given us a vivid picture of Satan, the events surrounding him, his role in the tribulation period. And as we move into chapter 13, John is given a new vision of the next major character of the Antichrist. But we will not talk about him until next week. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> so... With all that has been given, with all that is there, are there any other questions? Gloria. So your question is that when you hear people pray, they talk about binding Satan or can they bind Satan and stuff like that. Um, no, only God can bind Satan. 
Yes, believers pray for the, the protection, hedge of protection of God um, over us. We, we can pray that Satan not have victory um, and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how right or wrong it really is. Uh, we do not have the authority or the power in, our, in and of ourselves to bind Satan. But God does, and God can stop him. And so, you know, as long as we're not trying to say for ourselves that, you know, in Jesus' name, bind Satan, or, or that I have this power, or I can do this, or whatever else. I don't like the terminology myself. I don't know that the terminology is right uh, there. But the reality is, is that God can stop Satan in, in the work that he is doing. We need to recognize that God is more powerful than Satan, and we don't want Satan to have any victory or any opportunity to have victory in any situation. Uh, we want to give God that, but no, only God will, will bind Satan and stop him. So, yes. Any other questions? All right. I do have all of this written down in your notes. <laughs> so you can go back home and kind of look over it and, and, and read it. I kind of stayed close to the notes tonight so that it, you would read the same thing. And uh, if you look back over again or you go to sleep tonight and have a crazy dream because of it or whatever, and you want to talk about it, just come and ask me any questions you would like there, okay? So, uh, absolutely. All right, let's pray, and we will be done tonight. Father God, thank you for our time tonight. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that you will bless now as uh, all that has been poured out and all that has been talked so much, so much packed into this, Lord. Um, not easy to understand completely. And so, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will teach your people. I pray that you will help them to understand. And I pray, Father God, that you will use them. And we ask this now that you bless and bless uh, Sunday. Uh, and we have a great turnout in your house, a great time of worshiping you, Lord, I pray. God, indirect in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless. Yes, ma'am. <laughs>